Welcome everybody to Too Legit to Crit, a tabletop role-playing podcast hosted by two guys who roll out of bed with disadvantage. Only when we roll out on the wrong side of the bed. I always roll out on the wrong side of the bed. There is no Move right your side beds. of the bed. <laughs> Move your bed. <laughs> so anyway, buddy, how have you been keeping? I've been good. I got to roll dice and stuff, so I'm happy. You did get to roll dice. You rolled it, dice it majestically. Was, and I rolled them well. They didn't betray me for once. It was really cool. <laughs> awesome. Um, just, I just want to kind of make a quick interlude. Uh, this week, we do have an official partner for the show. Um, I would like everybody to check out Deals of Opportunity. It is an automatic, simple, and free way to save on the tabletop role-playing games that you want. Just add your drive through RPG and Dungeon Masters Guild wishlist and get notified any time a title on your list goes on sale. Just set it up and save. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good product, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good like, you know, it, It's Money. named a few. <laughs> Yeah, know, there's a Delta Green book that's just gone on sale that it pinged me about earlier today. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, so but, it's costing you money. <laughs> I was going to, this hobby costs me money, dude. It's true. It's true. So every now and again, you and I, we realize how inadequate we actually are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we like to bring on somebody who is going to class up the place and make us look good. Or at yes. least do their very best. Yes, and I think we've done a very good job of that this week. I do believe so, because it is our pleasure, it's our honour to introduce the one, the only, the Chaos Goblin themselves, Juicy Garland. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, where's the guest who has class? Um, well, that's you, so you. there's a lot of responsibility on you right yeah. now. So. I love the way you lie to me. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can, I can, you know, uh, it's not a lie. It is 100% truthful. And, you know, you, I started following you, I think it was a couple of months back on threads and instantly you you are one of these people that just makes the timeline better. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, I am a big old nerdy drag queen who just loves to make a fool of myself. So I'm glad that you enjoy my weird and obnoxious brand of chaos. I I'm a I'm a sucker for chaos. Um, it's, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm slightly feeling sorry for Justin this week, um, as he has a hard enough time trying to, you know, get me to behave myself. I have a <laughs> feeling that you know we're gonna, yeah, mm-hmm. we're gonna bounce off each other and just uh, see myself out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We want you to witness this, Justin. We want you to look us in the eyes when we do. <sighs> Yeah, I really do like to have someone watch me. Um, You know, I'm the kind of gal who is really excited to show my 13-year-old nephew Pink Pink Flamingos one day. That's going to be a fun time. Yeah, I mean, why why the hell not? I just, I just, I, yeah, I love chaos. I love just irreverent nonsense. And I love bringing all of that into the gaming space where I get to make other people have to deal with it. I th- I think playing a game with you must be fucking phenomenal. It I I like to think so. Uh the eye rolling at the table makes me wonder sometimes, but generally speaking I think everyone's having fun. I, I don't know I, um, to, to me, to me if they're eye rolling it means you're doing it right. <laughs> I think so too. That is true. I do get the fair I get a fair few eye rolls. 
Um, you know, we recorded we recorded um, with uh, Stefan from Thirteenth Moon Games. We recorded for our new show yesterday. Uh, so when that airs, you'll be able to see some good eye rolling action. Oh heck, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a good example is um, in my actual play podcast, uh, which is a Monster Hearts 2 actual play, All Our Faults, uh, I play a vampire character, Michael, who is just the worst. Uh, he is just constantly motivated to like needle at everyone around him and constantly get <laughs> under their skin. But he, it's because he's always seeking attention. He's always seeking a way to control the space to have people pay more attention. And the way he does that is the only way he knows how, which is to in some way make them angry or at least notice him through that negative attention. Uh, but I also am the kind of player who embraces the negative consequences of that character's actions. I'm never going to get mad at a GM for then slapping my character down for doing something stupid or doing something that wasn't necessarily the best or nicest thing for that character to do. There should be consequences for these actions. And I find a great deal of enjoyment in engaging with that character's truth, even when it's not so great, because it is still spicy. And then dealing with a fallout and having that character maybe learn and grow. Mm. I think in that regard, I think you and I are quite kindred spirits. Um, because yeah. Justin was pointing <laughs> at me as you were saying that, because... <laughs> If you just swapped out the name at the start of that description, you've also described one of John's characters. <laughs> like, mm. to a T. <laughs> my, yeah. my first character, he was Nahash. It was in the Pathfinder game. And when we played um, Covenant Crucible last night, it, we were the original mm. four friends who started in this hobby together. We were playing again together for the first time. time so yeah. we yeah. kind of semi reincarnated those characters just in a completely different system and immediately it felt like putting on an old pair of shoes where it's like oh shit this is my comfort zone and i immediately started uh targeting couch's uh pious character because that was that was my bread and butter yeah it was fun <laughs> But well, I so, do, please. No, no, go, go, go. No, but I do. I was just gonna say, I do one hundred percent agree the consequences. Mm. You know, if yep. I, as Nahash, do something absolutely stupid and it backfires, there's no point getting mad. I know what I knew what I was in for. Yeah, and, and that's a big part of the fun. But also, I think mm. at the same time. As a player, you need to be cognizant that you're not just there to be a troll. You're also there to help drive the story forward. You're all collaborating to tell a story. So you should be making these choices in a way that help move things forward and keep the momentum. Like just being a jerk as the character and stopping the momentum of the story and getting in the way of everyone else's fun is also not a great way to play a game. So you have to be mindful of that and engage with the story in a positive way too i, I mean, think that's a critical balance yeah i mean the way kind of my angle is also you know there is there is the cleric that i always poke the fun at but also i bring people along for the ride yeah there was there was a moment yesterday when they were talking about a witch family that provides aphrodisiacs 
And, you know, we immediately went is because, you know, they, they're impotent. So mm-hmm. a lot of the jokes from every one of the party was, you know, it's hard or, you know, these little yeah. sort of digs. And <laughs> it was, it was a really fun session. And to be honest, Stefan is in the chat. Shout out to Stefan yeah. for being able to, to kind of handle our <laughs> chaos as well as he did. I mean, yeah, well it, it was essentially like what well, is like nine years of back chaos. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, like as, as a group, we haven't played together in in like nine years or something. Um, like we've played in groups together, but there's always been like maybe one of us missing or one of us was GMing. So it, like, but actually being players, this was the first time. Um, and to to handle that was impressive <laughs> it, it really was Excellent. <laughs> yeah it, it it's it's important to share the table i think too that way yeah. everyone has the space yeah. yeah yeah um so speaking of tables you are you know the head of pr for tabletop um tabletop tail spinners well done yeah i, yeah. I mean i i struggle it's uh, the alliteration gets me uh, but yeah, so how did that come about? Because when we spoke to Emma, you were a player. You were a player in the in the all in the all our faults game. Mm-hmm. So how did it come about that all of a sudden you become the the head of PR? Which, by the way, I just want to say, Emma, great fucking choice. Well, thank you uh, for her and for me because I'll take the compliment too. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I really believed in what we were doing with all our faults immediately i saw we had an amazing cast our initial recording session felt very good uh and i wanted to be like head cheerleader for all our faults and i believe that when i'm part of a stream i want to really support what we're doing right uh and i think that comes from the drag queen ethos of you promote all the shows you're in uh so i try to do that as best i can for all of my actual play stuff uh, but in addition, something that Emma really showed me, I really, really believe in. Uh, and that's ultimately that Emma had built something really cool with the nascent TTN, uh, where she had been mindful in casting diversity without tokenism. And she had done it successfully. And that's not something I've really seen anywhere else. Yeah. And in particular, she pointed out to me something that shocked me I hadn't noticed which is that there are a lot of intentionally diverse casts out in the actual play space. Uh, a lot of them will say they have lots of women or they will have uh, lots of folks of color. And um, I had actually done a, a Delta Green actual play as GM uh, on in Phantom Arts Fest with the Neon Caster back in October. And when we were casting, someone said they didn't want to be part of the cast uh, because they didn't, or they didn't want to be part of the cast if they were going to be the only person of color, because they felt like they had been used as a token in too many shows, and that had already put my mind in this space. Luckily, they weren't going to be the only person; they had to drop out of that cast for other reasons. Um, but uh, then later on in that month, Emma had said something to me where she had pointed to these intentionally diverse casts, and almost invariably, they were GM'd by cis straight white men so yes other people are allowed at the table but not if they're in charge 
and yeah. sort of the mental math in my head, a lot of these GMs are also people who are in charge of networks. A lot of these people have the actual authority within the organizations putting on these shows, and they're not relinquishing that control in those moments, even when they're marketing themselves as being diverse or more diverse than they used to be. And they're taking credit for that while not really doing the heavy lifting at the end of the day. And um, it, it struck me as bananas that I hadn't noticed it either. And mm. uh, obviously, I have a different perspective than Emma. Um, I am a drag queen. I'm a gay man under all of the makeup and the wig and the dress. Uh, and it it eluded me. And I think I'm in a bit of a bubble because I know a handful of women who do actual plays, who do GM their own stuff. So I think I might have been sort of blinded to this fact. But then when Emma said this to me, I was shocked because I looked around and really saw the phenomenon. Um, and seeing what she had done where she had built something that really wasn't tokenistic, that was earnest, I really wanted to be part of that. So as the end of the year came in, she and I spoke and we decided that, um, A, she needed help badly because TTN is growing um and all our faults was starting off really strong um in its first few episodes so she needed help i wanted to be part of what she was building so we decided that i would be a formal part of ttn and eventually um we will continue to formalize my role more i will take over more and more responsibility and it's our goal to really grow tabletop tailspinners into something big and really make something different than what's out there, which is a truly diverse network of performers in the actual play space who do cool work, who are chosen for their talent, and who don't feel tokenized. I mean, that's one thing that, that when I spoke to Emma on the show, um, because even by then, I think, I think Monster Hearts, I think All Our Faults hadn't premiered yet. I may be, I may be wrong in the timeline here. But it either, it well, yeah, some it was early days at the, you know, and she was telling us all about the the projects because there was like improv madness, it was all our faults, and I can't mm. honestly recall the the name of the other show. And one of the things that struck yeah. me was Emma just going, "Yeah, I, I this is me, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, this is me, I do this sort of thing." And to kind of see even then before all our faults was has become what it's become, just to just to see what she was doing was was staggering. It's uh, yeah, you know, and yeah, I do I do agree that, and I think Emma would have probably agreed as well at the time that yeah, some help with the heavy lifting and would have yeah, been beneficial. She needed Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and you and, know, like like I said, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. She could not have picked a better person to do that. Well, thanks. I I do feel like she and I are very complementary with our skill sets. Mm. She is very good at like being structured, herding all of the cats, taking care of a lot of the operation stuff within TTN. I hate that stuff a lot of the time. Um, I really, however, like looking at TTN as an organization, but also doing a lot of the social media stuff that I've been doing. I also want to learn more about marketing and formalize a lot of my knowledge there uh, mm. and do all of the other stuff that I have been doing and do more. Um, I, I think that 
TTN has something really special, and I want to help that grow as much as I possibly can. And I'm I'm certain it will. It's there's no doubt in my mind that TTN will continue to thrive and continue to grow. It is it is it's a fa- it's a passion project, and it really is. Yeah, and it is you know you uh, passion projects do succeed because there's real motivation there right like if if you set out to make podcasts just for money it's not gonna work especially in the ttrpg space like (laughs) there's so much stuff you do for free all the time like yeah like actual play stuff is always a labor of love because actual play stuff in and of itself tends to be free labor both emotional labor and actual physical labor so much um and and that's just the way it's going to be so often and you can't do all of that upfront stuff to then make like ttn one day maybe a business if we're lucky if we're not willing to do that labor of love work up front and you have to really want it to do it yeah and i I think we kind of we've definitely kind of fall into that same sort of mentality because we started this and the objective wasn't even to gain listeners. Yeah. The objective was we want to make a mark. We want to put something out into the world. Yeah. And Mm. it's going to be two idiots talking about our favorite hobby. And And right now it's free. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's something for... And, you know, lo and behold, we started people actually started listening and i think yeah. it still astounds us to this day yeah that, uh, it's, yeah you know, yeah why <laughs> what is wrong well, with you that. people well it's like i love performance i love playing games i love the kind of stuff that monster hearts for example lets me do because it it really threads the needle between like stagecraft and acting and then tabletop role-playing games so well so what we're doing in all our faults feels so fulfilling in a way that i've actually in a lot of like my own day job professional stuff rarely have felt and it's so nice to be able to do that and i think that carries through for all of us in the cast because we all have such good rapport we all bond together so well and then our characters of course i think come through in that and it's because we love what we're doing yeah, I mean, it's this is this is a hobby that you 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 get invested in. Whether yeah. putting aside the 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 podcasting and the the sort of the the public aspect of it, you get into this hobby because you love it. Yeah. You know, that's what makes you spend money. I've said many occasions, <laughs> yeah. you can start playing this game without spending a dime. Well, oh, yeah. we didn't when we started. I mean, we used uh, we used books that were lent to us, PDFs that we could find. And I think only like three of us actually had our own die sets the first session. But, I mean, um, even because we were playing Pathfinder where all the rules yeah. are free, legal. Yeah, yeah exactly. the SRD, right out there. Yeah. yeah. And so um, that's what we were playing. And But lo and behold, my God, I've spent money now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, part of it that you can just fill so much of the world you're playing with 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 like the feel of the art that like Paizo puts out there with the material right yeah. and 
helps you then create the space where your character is, who you get so invested in because that person is born from your mind and you inhabit that character with your own thoughts and feelings. It, it It's so personal. And mm. that all gets colored in and sort of help, filled out with all of that other stuff that you want to have access to because that's personalized too. Yeah, I don't think I could have put it better myself, to be honest. Uh, it's, that is just a very, a very poetic way of putting it, and it it just it capitalizes it exactly. Yeah. So, it, or like I, for example, like obsess over like indie RPGs that I find that I love, and mm. no one ever wants to play them with me. But I, I love reading different rules and like seeing what other people do to sort of craft and style a world so then i have like shelves and shelves there and and then space where there aren't shelves where i have more books where they're just toppling over um where i just have like indie rpgs up the wazoo mm. and i have like some favorites that i've never been able to play and i have thoughts about how i get other people to play with me now that i am head of pr at ttn uh but that's long down the road and i'm still conning emma into it um but <laughs> i'll get there um i think i have nothing too huh I, I don't want to cut you off, but I think just first, first of all, Justin's got to, an interjection. Oh, no, no, no. I'm putting my hand up because I want to be a player. <laughs> and I want to play. Ste <laughs> Stefan in the chat has also said, I want to play indie games with Juicy. There you go. And Two players. Yeah. Job done. <laughs> yeah, and three. I mean, come on. <laughs> Job done. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. No games also... are getting played in this space without me being in. <laughs> yes. Also, I need to play more Delta Green. Oh. Yeah, that's. Um, I didn't really want to clue Justin into this because he had an episode a couple of weeks ago where himself and and Conlin Lich Dad they went they went to town on their D and D five E shenanigans, and I was just sat there going, "Just wait, mm. just wait." Yeah, you, you say that like I don't enjoy. You say that like I don't enjoy Delta Green. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know you've you've played a session with us you did a, two sessions you you two have sessions. enjoyed it i can't wait to bring you more into the fold <laughs> but yeah so juicy you and i do have a shared love mm. and that is of the program mm -hmm. <laughs> um what got you into delta green um it was it's funny actually I remember when I was obsessed with uh, monsters and other childish things years ago, I saw the pre like current version release art and I was like, Oh, too many guns. No, thanks. But then glass cannon did their like one shot during the pandemic of Delta yeah. green. And I was like, I need this game in my life. I need this now. <laughs> Holy shit. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And, I, and then I became yeah. obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was glass cannon as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, just it was like you know they they played it because they did glass cannon. Justin, uh, glass cannon did last things last. That was their mm -hmm. one shot, and that's the one you played recently. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, with okay. Clive, Clive yeah, Bowman, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. no spoilers here. With, with, yeah. with my uh... yeah, this Justin guy. was a social guy. media manager. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! I, I, I manage the social media for the CDC. <laughs> I love it. Yes. So, that's like I, they played that. In everything. <laughs> they played that, and then they did um, the last equation, 
Oh, that's yeah, yep, yep. And yep. that's that's the one that really got me. The yeah, last the I last equation. It was so fucking funny. And it was just in my wheelhouse. It was, you know, I can I can yeah. like do the horror, but I can also do the the comic relief. Same. And yeah. And it's just a it's just such a good system. Yeah, and I think they did it really well. Like they did Delta Green, I think, perfectly. Mm. Where you Delta Green gets very dark and very harsh. And I think you need to balance that a bit with a little absurdity somewhere when you're either playing or performing it in order to make it varied in a way that is, I think, easier for most people to really consume it. Mm. Because otherwise Delta Green can be very harsh. Um, and I like that personally every now and then, but I also like it to be sort of balanced like a roller coaster. <laughs> um, mm. So they presented it in a way that made me really like Delta Green too. And then I got like the core set books and I loved the world building that they put into <sighs> Delta Green. And that's what really hooked me was like getting the handler's guide <laughs> and reading through the handler's guide. Yeah, that, completely. That is that kind of really surprised me. The handler's guide, I because yeah. I got the agent's hand because I bought the the box set. Mm-hmm, same. Um, so I got the agent's handbook, read it. It's rules. Right. It's whatnot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got my, I've got mine behind me somewhere. And yep. um, then I went into that. Then I got the picked up the handler's guide. And being used to Pathfinder, I expected it to be core rulebook, game mastery guide sort mm-hmm. of thing or i think in in dnd you've got the player's handbook and also the game the DM's guide. Guide. yeah yeah the dm's guide sorry so i yeah. thought it was going to be like that i thought it was going to be oh this is these are the rules but this is how you play sort of thing mm-hmm. and when i got it and the fact that the first 20 30 pages are a timeline mm-hmm. that was amazing 1920 this happens this mm-hmm. and it's just and you kind of link it not only to real world events, but to operations yes. that aren't even published yet. And in addition, you also have it linked to like Lovecraft's world so thoroughly. And mm. I happen to be a really big fan of HP Lovecraft and just cosmic horror in general. Like I'm building tattoo sleeves of like great old ones like the newest one is the king in yellow who i know is not lovecraft but he counts and he's there um but uh, yeah i have cthulhu over here i have yog sathoth over here eventually i want azathoth yeah i i i love me some cosmic (laughs) and weird horror uh yes so the way they interweave like real world events and tie them to lovecraft and meld those two worlds into one is just brilliant and then debt willers like art on top of it is just so good and the way and and it's so well written like the whole thing is just a complete beautiful package and i love it it is it is it is fantastic and i i really was quite unaware of lovecraftian horror um Aside from, you know, Cthulhu, okay. maybe Hounds of Tindalos, things like that. Um, but they were they were just a carryover because they were in the Pathfinder games and stuff. And it wasn't until I started delving into Delta Green that mm-hmm. this whole 
narrative world opened up in front of me and it was like holy shit oh yeah no i i've been reading like lovecraftian fiction since i was a kid mm. um and i've loved it forever like i have so many versions of the annotated hp lovecraft around my house um that yeah i just i i love the writing even though the man was a racist prick um, and he, and he was and it has to be said uh he also completely changed how we think about science fiction and horror so irrevocably uh, and i i think that has to be remembered too like prior to lovecraft's style of writing science fiction placed mankind at the center of the universe every time like you go all the way back to Mary Shelley and it's about man trying to imitate God and take the center of the universe from God, right? Yeah. Lovecraft puts us somewhere off to the left in East Bumfuck. And <laughs> like that's the horror. The horror is that we don't matter. Yeah. And it's such an inversion from the way everyone thought at the time and still often thinks it's genius. Uh, and the way other people have taken those works and adapted them and made them their own and made them so much less racist um, is just brilliant and beautiful. Or like with The King in Yellow, which is not Lovecraft, the way that blends the concepts of like creativity and madness being interlinked and drawing people in and having ideas be dangerous. Those yeah. things are so fascinating and really, I find provocative. So I, I love that stuff. What I what I always find about it, and I'm sorry, Justin, we are kind of like oh, just waffling on here, it. but you know, um, <laughs> what I what I always find fascinating is that if you look at traditional horror, mm -hmm. there's always rules. There's always a reason. There's always, you know. If you open the Necronomicon, Necronomicon, you you know you'll you'll create these creatures and these dead, and there's always a rationale to it. Whereas mm. with cosmic horror, there doesn't have to be, no, because you don't have to understand it. And um, I've got you, a yeah, I've got I've got a campaign kind of plotted out for for that justin and the rest of the party before we go into impossible landscapes and the the campaign goes through certain things and obviously i've read through all the scenarios and there is a something in the scenario of kind of right what is going on here and and it explains it to you but this is information that the players are never ever going to know yep, <laughs> yeah and you know impossible landscapes made me a lifelong fan of delta green not just a fan yeah. but a lifelong fan like that book is the single best like like pre-made scenario piece of writing i have ever encountered i will say nothing about it because spoilers um other than to say that the way it left me feeling as and after i read it made me feel crazy yeah the book reading it a book to tell you how to play a game in a pre-written scenario made me feel crazy that is how well written it is like it's it's such I'm, a brilliant piece of writing on top of being an incredibly well written scenario book it, it's it's oh i want to i want to thank you for saying that because <laughs> When I every time I've spoken to to Justin to to Chris to Couch to everyone I've talked about 
like roping in to to play through impossible landscapes one of the ways i've described it is it is hands down the greatest ever campaign written mm-hmm. oh yeah easy no no it's it's just it is so clever yeah, I'm going like, to interject on this one and say that's not how you wrote me into play. You said you had a Delta Green game, and I was like, I'm down. That, yeah, that's how I'd that like conversation it. went. <laughs> I've, I've got a copy of Maps right over there. It's right, <laughs> right there next to Delta Green. That's up on the list of the best. But like Impossible Landscapes is so well self-contained. It's not extraneous, but it's so dense and rich with detail. Mm. And it it's so well written to convey the like strangeness that it wants like th- and that's the thing too is that because it is surreal the way it's written is also surreal so there are layers mm. of how it conveys the tone and meaning and intention of its writing to make the gm understand what they have to do to then convey the scenario yeah. it's brilliant it is and and the reason we're doing kind of like a pre-campaign is to get the players to, so the players have to worry less about the mechanics when we go into impossible landscapes which is smart yeah they can just get on with it and just enjoy the story so mm-hmm. we're currently um we're currently in viscid oh fun gross yeah, viscid, viscid, viscid's a lot of fun yeah, for those um, not in the know, it's just really icky, and you should play it if you want to get squicked out. And I'm going to try and ask you to try and taper your reaction, but it's going to end with Ex Oblivioni. Okay. Now, that's going to be fun. Everyone's going to have a great time. Yes. It'll... it'll... I mean... One word. Damp. <laughs> <laughs> well, my introduction to Delta Green was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. it was, I think it was shortly after you got the books, wasn't it, John? Yeah. That one that you, you ran that I was in. Um, and we, we kind of, the party ended up splitting up for some reason. I think we all just ran different directions when shit started going down, as you Smart. do. Um, yes. and then I was like, I'm going to go find the, this other dude. Cause we haven't seen him for a little bit. So I went to find him and I walked in a door. And that's where my experience of Delta Green ended. Because <laughs> he'd got insane and he shot me in the face. <laughs> we, were, we were playing PX Poker Night. And I don't, have you ever played that one? That one I have not played. I uh, think I've one. read into it, but I, or I've read it, but it's been a while. It's a good, mm. it's a good introduction. And a lot of like the first three quarters of the the module nothing really happens in yeah. on camera as it were everything is happening in the background so every now and again it's like ah, oh, just you know roll a sanity check and they're rolling and rolling and because it is okay. a it's like an intro scenario the um the insanities the insanity and the breaking points are already pre-written Mm-hmm. And one of them, the one who went insane, it was you strip down naked, you pick up a gun, and you kill anything. And mm. that's what happened to him in the armory of the army base. 
where Justin's character decided to walk in. Oh I no! Like, I'm, I'm gonna go find him. So I, I walk in this door, and like I'm saying this, like yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go and look for him. And the whole time I'm unbeknownst to me, John's getting messages from the guy saying, "I'm gonna shoot him. I'm gonna shoot him if he walks in this door." <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, at Gen Con, I played a scenario. I forget the name of it. It's where you're astronauts and you have to go up to like fix a satellite. Oh shit! That's gonna uh, bug me. That's yeah, gonna I'm really bug me now. And I played like the ace pilot who's like uh, an America loving prick, which was so fun. <laughs> and uh, like one of his uh, motivations is to like, was like America or something. It's been a while now, but because of like my devotion to America and the mission, I decided that I had to ensure that the like uh, hyper geometric event had to happen because of the way it was given like explained to us so when anyone tried to like prevent it i murdered them and i basically murdered half of the crew uh very satisfied with myself and made sure we like <laughs> landed back in uh, yeah i killed the captain i remember doing that because like the there's the monster that like goes like phases through things and i kicked the face of the captain to knock him into the monster because he was trying to like stop the event it was great that was so fun <laughs> The thing I love about it is that it quite literally, and this is going to sound like it doesn't really mean very much, but every scenario is different. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's, I mean, because I'm, I'm, I'm a big Pathfinder player. I do a lot of society games and, you know, a lot of one shots. And they're all very formulaic. They're all very... Okay, you meet with the person who gives you the quest. Um, you can roll Go for information. <laughs> On your way there, we're going to have this little sort of mini game that's using going to use your skills, and then we're going to get into encounters, and they all kind of follow that sort of thing. Delta Green A not only is non-linear as as pre-written modules go; they're just. Yeah dossiers of information but also if you guys like the party that i'm i'm running now they they're playing visit and then they're gonna go into i can't remember what it was but it's a comp it's a completely different vibe it's a completely different um sort of feeling that that kind of comes with it yeah you know? actually i i read there was either a post or something, or maybe it was on Detwiller's Patreon. I support Dennis Detwiller. He's the main artist for Delta Green. Um, he he had written something about how they actually write and why they have distinct tones between different published scenarios. And part of it is that they don't actually share a scenario until they're confident in a draft. Mm. And then they like kick it over the wall for some edits and feedback. But the the feedback goes back to the original author who then does the revisions so each scenario is really mainly touched by the originating author of the mm. scenario so it retains its to like distinct tone yeah that's why like they don't all blend together tonally mm. so that's why you can go from like visid to ex oblivione and then have very different kinds of scenarios and yeah. i think also, they're very open-ended because if you look at like what I think of as like the energy curve of a scenario, their Delta Green scenarios are all very flat, 
until they spike at the end, right? Yeah. Because there's a lot of like footwork to find things. And then once you basically get to a point where you've triggered like the horrible thing that happens coming at you, (laughs) basically there's nothing else you can do. So it all just goes bad. So there's so much you can do before then that it's really up to the GM and the players how everything happens and what sort of many horrible things end up happening in whatever order or however they happen. And because they're all kind of open-ended questions, you can have wildly different experiences. I think that's why you get that different style of scenario than from like Pathfinder or D&D or something else. So we we were talking on Instagram about Delta Green. Um, yeah. And because I said I was running Impossible Landscapes, it is in person, which obviously for geographic purposes, you would not be able to join. But if I were to have a um, an, an online run of Impossible Landscapes, would you at all be interested? You had me at if. Yes, of course. <laughs> I have been so desperate for someone to run Impossible Landscapes so I could play it. Oh my god. I want to play it so badly. Oh. I just this want is... I, I just want to step on me, Daddy. Like just <laughs> please. It's I'm gonna so horrible. Say, I love it. I'm gonna uh, say you that's got a second first... player in the chat, by the way. Who's that? Oh yes. All right. So because here's the thing. I've read I've read Impossible Landscapes. I'm gonna run Impossible Landscapes. This is not a campaign that you run once. No. Yeah, I mean it it's there's so much in it. You can't do it all. And because of, like we were just saying, the nature of Delta Green games, they they take such different paths. There's no way for it to be even remotely similar each time. I would love to. Oh, God, yeah. yes. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I've listened to two actual plays of um, Ex Oblivione. Because um, mm-hmm. that's one I've really wanted to run. And um, one was the Glass Cannon version. Mm-hmm. And the other one, I'm not really going to mention because I wasn't a massive fan. I don't think it was was well done at all. So I don't want to kind of knock anyone or put anyone down. Uh, but again, they were two very distinct experiences. Yep. And yeah, I just can't wait for our experience with it. Yeah. yeah. One day, uh, one day I will have my own Delta Green pod. I know it. <laughs> I can see it so clearly in my head, but I'm I'm obsessive, and I <laughs> maybe we'll talk. But uh, we'll talk. I'm, I'm let's chat. And I have like a distinct set of arcs I want to like tackle, and yeah. I just need to write the scenarios. And yeah, oh god, I'm just, so in. I want, and I also like want to make so much stuff for it. Like I want to make theremin music for it. I have a theremin. I'm not very good at it. I need to get better. But I want to make theremin music for this. I'm, I'm, I want to be part of that so fucking much. I just, One day. yeah, yeah. I mean, because I've, I've even got a character concept that I've been thinking about. Most because I'm always going to be the handler, so I'm never going to be able to play. Oh, so, yeah. My, my character concept is, you know, like Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost. Yes. <laughs> you know, she's a, a charlatan sort of um, psychic. Uh-huh who gets possessed by the 
titular ghost. I want basically some a character like that who is being a psychic and then all of a sudden gets hit with something, possessed by something. And and that's going to be their introduction to Delta Green. Yeah, I have a character who doesn't get possessed, but I have like a really fun charlatan psychic in Call of Cthulhu. Oh God, uh, Madam H. Is that what I called her? And uh, she's from New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) So like, she's like, I have a feeling a sensation that someone with the letter H is calling to you. And she's amazing. I love her so much. Oh, oh that's amazing. That's, that is fucking awesome. So speaking of Delta <laughs> Green, speaking of T- uh, TTN, yes. you, were ta- you were mentioning that you were doing a list for um, Improv Madness, for a Delta Green Improv Madness. Oh, yes. How is that yes. coming along? Oh, so um, I have be- I've I've not done as much as I want to, but I've done quite a bit. So um, yeah, Improv Madness will have me running some Delta Green, which is going to be exciting in season two. And what that means is that I have to make random tables for these characters and also scenarios. And I'm almost done with the characters. I just have a little bit more to do there, and then I'm going to get onto the scenarios. But uh i had a whole lot of fun um making some wild tables so now i'm gonna have to pull up drive oh please do share what i don't want you to i don't want to spoil anything but oh i'm not gonna spoil anything but what i do want to share is sort of the process i think so yeah because not everyone knows delta green anyways so delta green characters are actually fairly simple and fast to make so it was actually not terribly difficult to come up with how I would randomize some of this. So you have your basic stats, um, which is similar to Call of Cthulhu. There's, uh, ooh, off the top of my head, this is going to stink. So uh, let me actually scroll over my massive outrageous table. Uh, strength, <laughs> dex, con, intelligence, power, and charisma. These get rolled later in the process. Um, but actually, hold on, pause, back up. I'm going to explain what Improv Madness is. So Tabletop Tailspinners produces a show called Improv Madness, where um, typically in D&D 5e, in prior seasons and in the upcoming season two, uh, we randomly roll details for characters uh, in uh, different uh, episodes with uh, different players. So each episode is its own self-contained thing. And we will have our character creation episode where everyone gets saddled with random combinations and it's chaos and it's fantastic um and then the gm usually emma kokar who is the founder of ttn will then uh randomly roll the scenario and then the next episode will be the scenario itself fun time i am in a couple episodes for season two which starts in march i believe uh but i am jumping in as a guest uh dm as handler for delta green so roll the professions which are what we have instead of classes and that's exciting because there are standardized professions that are easy enough to pick from a list and i can randomly roll those and then some of the sub components of those are randomized like additional skills things like that Hmm. those i made tables for so that will be easy enough to go through and those you can find in your uh local agent's handbook um also random skills for when you have randomized skill roles 
I'm really proud of some of the things I put in here because there are different crafts that you might have to roll. Huh. Um, if you do, you have one in 40 chances of getting crafts like artisanal bread, uh, lepidoptery, or uh, rock tumbling. Those are fun ones. Let's see who gets those. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I, I would I would absolutely get those. Just gonna yeah. put that out there. I, uh, <laughs> I did then have 90 different sciences. Uh, some of those include classics like climatology, uh, ichthyology, and um, paleontology. So good, good stuff there. Nothing too obscure because I wanted these to be useful. Um, but some <laughs> of them are like seismology. Who doesn't love that? And then uh, there are 781 languages you could roll from if you do get a foreign language skill. Uh, I decided to be cruel here because, um, yeah, you could get French or you could get uh, Kidan Sara, whatever that is. Uh, so we'll find <laughs> out and do a little Googling. I think that's fun. So oh, just a quick shout out to all our Kidan Sara speaking listeners out there. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that's that. That's amazing. I love, uh, like J John knows this. I love a random table. Yep, they're my favorite thing in the whole wide world. I've got books of random tables for five E over on the Heck bookshelf yeah. behind me. So to do an entire game from random tables, uh huh. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fun. And then I think honestly, the the way Delta Green works, a lot of the like information that goes on the character sheet is really about creating who this person is that you're going to be playing. The stats really don't do a ton of work. No. The most important stuff is in your bonds. It's in your motivations, sometimes disorders, things like that. So I spent a lot of time on bonds. Uh, and with a couple of friends, I really put some time into figuring out who bonds might be here. I will save a few um, because some of these are real fun. Um, but you have your classic, your parent, your step-parent, your partner or ex-partner, um, your other boyfriend. Um, <laughs> you know, things like that. And then we get into some fun things. Because you don't just have bonds with people. You could have uh, a bond with your dead cat. You could have a bond with Citizen Kane. Um, we all know those guys. Those movie guys who have a bond with Citizen Kane. That's a really strong identifier of who a character <laughs> is. Mm -hmm, uh, yeah. You could have a bond with your intramural sports team for anyone who loves their, I don't know, uh, ultimate Frisbee. That's a, you know who that person is. Uh, there are some real good ones in here, so uh, I'll leave others for, for the <laughs> show. But this is a little preview. Um, motivations. Now, I could have spent time doing like a list of like 300 different kinds of motivations, like things that really motivate a person to get out of bed in the morning, like God bless America or down with the patriarchy or getting revenge on my stepmother, you know, normal people things. But uh, <laughs> instead I decided to go, what is a human motivation and how does it work? Um, didn't find any real like, papers on this i did research people because i'm crazy um i legitimately did so i was like what 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 makes up a, a human motivation that's not just bullshit business talk and i decided there are um four components to a human motivation 
there is a reward your brain gets that motivates you uh, at a f profound level. And um, there are kinds of rewards that I broke into. Uh, what? How many categories were there? As I open this up a bit more, 10 different kinds. Yep, I, I have decided I'm a, a, a psychologist and researcher today for this game, people. <laughs> 10 different kinds of rewards your brain can receive for a human motivation. Uh, so uh, you can have prestige. Prestige is a reward you might receive. Mm. A power. Mm -hmm. There are social rewards, right? But also yeah. cultural rewards, right? So like a social reward would be people like telling you you look more attractive because you cut your hair nice instead of looking like a slob. But like a cultural reward would be like people finally respecting you because you got married after being in a relationship for 10 years and your parents stopped bugging you. And now they're <laughs> going to actually bug you about having children. So once you have children, maybe they'll stop bugging you then. Those are kinds of rewards for motivations. Those things. There are spiritual rewards because some people go to church. I don't know. Um, then unnatural <laughs> rewards because this is Delta Green. So yeah, in Delta Green, you could have a motivation related to the unnatural. Um, and that I felt was a outside of the human experience. So it could have its own category and that might flavor how people put these rewards together. Sexual, of course, sexual rewards are very motivating and real emotional rewards too. Like some things just make us happy. Some things make us depressed and we have huge motivations based on those. Then of course there are like physical rewards as well. Um, things that just make us feel good that aren't necessarily sexual motivations. And then intellectual stuff, things that make us feel smart. So, uh, or things that are conceptual. So I broke, that's how I broke down the kinds of rewards our brains get. Then that is far deeper than I would have ever even thought to go. That is amazing. Thank you. So is... then they all come from somewhere, either internally or externally. And that's it. Okay. Yeah. It's a kind of pressure, right? Is it mm. internal or external pressure? Mm around this reward where's the reward going to come from then you have a subject and an object for a reward right so where does the where does it originate from that's the subject yeah. like think of a sentence right so in a sentence you have the subject of the sentence and the object of the sentence mm. that's how i sort of thought of this so then they're the same things but it's either the subject or the object it can come from the self or someone else. So like if say you have a motivation to like get married to someone who is always going to treat you well, that could be because you had a shitty stepmother. So that the the subject of that would be your stepmother, but yeah. the object of that is marriage, mm -hmm. which would be a kind of others or no one or like material need or want, depending on how you define what that is, right? So those are like the kinds of subjects or objects you can have. And then my favorite part is the spice. This is where <laughs> I created a numbered list of things that then I could basically fuel the ideas where you put all these things together, you shake them up with your random rolls, and then I can help players generate ideas for their human motivations. So mm. you can have things like validation, yeah, desperation, capitalism, extreme loneliness, thirst, 
my mother, my boyfriend, <laughs> my other boyfriend to crave praise, right? Like these are all like yeah. strong emotional baggage things that then are sort of coloring the combination of what makes a human motivation because without it, like it's sort of arbitrary and too abstract. So I wanted to ground them in something big. Uh, so could you, do you have dice? Oh, dice. we've got dice. All right. So what do we need? <laughs> Justin. All right. So first I'm, let's pick a reward. So one D 10. Let's go. I need, yeah. I need to find my D 10s. All right, so you rolled a 10, you said, Justin? Uh, I did roll a 10. Oh, okay, so this is an intellectual reward. Okay. Now roll me a d2. So evens or odds? Uh, that's a 1. Okay, so this is an internal source. This comes from... You're getting the reward internally, right? So then give me 2d7. Uh, do you just want the total or? Uh, no, each one. Uh, four and a three. Four and three. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your internal intellectual reward, its subject is no one. It doesn't come from anywhere. It was sort of spontaneous one day and it's HD. the object of it is others. Okay. All right, so so keep that in your head. Roll me a D100. Uh, 29. 29? Your X is the spice. So if this is an internal intellectual reward, so that pleasure <laughs> comes from inside, and uh, it's about other people, and it revolves around your X, Mm -hmm. So uh, think about what she did, or he did, or they did. What'd your ex do? Why? So putting that spice in there, what is this intellectual stimulation about others? What's that motivation? What gets you up in the morning? It has to be a big idea. <laughs> um... Oh, see, now, do I go to a very real place or do I make something up? <laughs> all, right, all right do you want to do you want to be thinking about that while yeah, juicy rolling me that. through yeah. this because i want to fucking I'll, I'll think about that while you do some rolling yeah, okay. so <laughs> i want to play all right uh, d10 all right so we're going with a 10 all right so another intellectual now let's roll it again get something different cool all right eight eight okay so this is an emotional reward all right right okay now, uh, 1d2. Okay, odds. Odds, so that's internal. So this is an internal emotional reward. Makes you feel feelings inside. Okay, so then 2d7. Okay, re-rolling on the 8. Okay, so a 7 and a 1. All right, so the subject as a 7, you get to choose 1. So just roll it again. Uh, which on the 7, yeah? Yep. Okay, five. Okay, so uh, the subject is everybody. So you, this comes from everybody, and it goes right to you. So it's about everybody sort of with an intellectual reward 
going at mm. you. Right? Now give me that D100. All right, that's 39. 39. All right, religious. Religion. Oh, oh, at this. I have I have a motivation to recommend if you can't come up with one. Um, okay, so I'm thinking, um, I want everybody to see me as the next savior. I love that. Perfect. Yes, that is a I, strong motivation. I wake you up no, every no morning. One. You are now Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right. Yep. All right, Justin, did you come up right. with something? I did. Now, I just want to clarify, because... My ex has got a degree, but this is not based in reality. <laughs> but <laughs> it is semi-based in reality on other people, not my ex, just okay. clarifying. Um, so there were some individuals that I basically wrote their dissertations for them um, at uni. Uh -huh. So they go around telling people that they have a degree, but in reality, I did all the work. Um, so I would shift that to an X that did the same thing is, is okay. essentially. So the, the intellectual juice is them going, yeah, I got a degree. Meanwhile, I know that it was, it was me and it was my brain that did that, not theirs. So what, so what's the motivation around that? What's, what gets you up out of bed in the morning based around that? To prove that I could. Okay. So, okay. Um, it, it's, it's something that is something that is very real is if somebody tells me there's no way that on a whim my brain goes fucking watch me <laughs> that is true he does respond like that excellent it's excellent. very good it's very good for manipulation purposes it's true. i love that i'm very proud of this table and like how i it's, it's it can awesome. be used to generate motivations because it, it's infinitely usable basically mm. it, yeah. i think it's amazing i think it's it's, awesome. the, the thought that you've put into it is you know, because I would have just gone, okay, here's a list of 20, 30 motivations. Let's be done with it. Mm. But the fact that you've done that, it will it will create, and not to use like Delta Green parlance too much, but it will create a bond with that character. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Because yeah. the players... They've put something into it of themselves yeah. and they've thought about it. But mm. also too, like just rolling on a list for this felt boring and like not fun for both me and them and also mm. the audio like doing this like thinking through it talking about it that sounds fun for air um, yeah. that's yeah. why i wanted to get away from a random table whereas like with the bonds because i'm not really filling in like who this parent is or what that story is mm. there's still something to talk about or like if they roll like that one of their bonds is citizen kane like we can talk about that and what that means. And that's hilarious. Yeah. Right. So, but this, I wanted something more, well, juicy. Um, so that way it could really be more interesting and fun. And I really put a lot of thought into how you break down a motivation because that was an interesting thought experiment for me. Mm. And I hope other people respond well too, because I, I really like it. I think it's fantastic. And I, yeah. when Emma was on the show and she mentioned that you were doing <laughs> improv madness in Delta Green. I think I threw myself at her feet. It was, kind it was of, hilarious. To, it was I, so to, funny. I, I, I was so fucking desperate. And it's going to be the same here. It's like, if you need a player, <laughs> you, know, you know, if someone drops out, just give me a shout, you know. 
I don't care what time of morning it is. I'll get I'll get up. If he's not available, he will be. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not, yeah, if I'm not available, I'll book a day off fucking work if I need to. I mean, I am sure we will be doing this again because I love any excuse to play Delta Green. But yeah, I, mean, I don't so, exactly put on a wig to not get attention. So but yeah, I mean, if you ever do it again, just give me a shout. I am so Absolutely. fucking there for that. So Every week, we ask uh, some of our closest collaborators to send in potential topics to to discuss. Um, gives us something to talk about. Gives us something that we kind of don't quite know what's going to happen. Um, and we would love for it if you were to kind of help us with that. Sure. Yeah. All right. So I don't even know what I'm rolling today. So uh, D3 today. Is it a D3? D3 today. The problem with turning my lights down is I can't see my dice box properly. That's because you're blind. I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, do you want to? Who is it? One, two, couch. One, two, couch. Uh, three, four, sci fi. Five, six, Daryl. Okay. Sci fi it is on a number three. Okay. All right. I've lost Trello. Where's it gone? <laughs> Oh, no, it's all going wrong. All right, okay, so sci-fi. Uh, sci-fi's next question is, where do you get inspiration for puzzles, and what do you do when the players don't know how to solve them? Oh, God, yeah. Um, it's always the worst of all when you throw, like, a really easy puzzle at them and they spend, like, eight sessions on it. <laughs> I try to avoid precise puzzles and instead try to create open-ended problems that I don't know the answer to. So that way I'm not looking for a specific solution. I think that that lets the answers be more creative and more engaging. And then it makes it a lot easier for me to either hand wave an answer that feels legitimate or it makes it easier to then say, give them an idea role of some kind that then lets me give them a thing I think gets them through without being cheap about it. Um, mm -hmm. That's sort of how I would do it. But I'm also used to running more games like Delta Green as opposed to doing D&D &D where more people see like pre-written proscriptive puzzles. Mm. I mean, there's always, there's always going to be kind of a disconnect between player and character. When it comes to puzzles, because that like we're taking D and D and Pathfinder as an example, yeah. kind of going okay. So here's the puzzle in front of you. It's like, well, I don't know it, but my wizard has got an intelligence of twenty. Can I just roll for it? Yeah, and, so you know, so that you're always going to have that kind of disconnect where it's like, okay, all of a sudden your wizard, who is meant to be, you know, one of the most intelligent beings on the planet is now temporarily sharing your intellect. Um, so I, I kind of don't use puzzles all that often because I'm either going to make them too easy or I'm just going to make them impossible that only my twisted mind would be able to solve anyway. In ex so from, I, from experience, it's normally the second one. Uh <laughs> I like to watch you squirm. I was about to say, that's why. 
Um, I mean, the, the way that I, I've always kind of handled that high intelligence character with maybe a, a player who doesn't have like, you know, an advanced degree from Oxford or something, right? Which is like the level of intelligence their character has. Um, I'll like slip them extra information about the puzzle, like on a sheet of paper or something, so that it's it's character knowledge that the player now possesses. Um, but it's not something that like you're openly sharing with the table, so that then the idiot barbarian goes, "Hey, what about this?" Um, because he shouldn't really know. Um, so I'll like slip them a, an extra sheet of paper with maybe like a diagram on it that they've seen in a book um, that maybe explains this puzzle or um, something like that. That's just maybe like a, a spark of inspiration that they've had of, oh, wait, I remember this puzzle, this book I read when I was eight. Um, <laughs> um, so that, that's also kind of how I handled like them getting stuck is I'll maybe slip. So I'll get them to do a roll and whoever rolled the highest, I'll slip them a little bit of extra information about it that they've deduced um or something like that and it, it also makes it feel like it's the, the character coming up with it as well um a little bit so that's kind of how i've handled it in the past that's actually a really really kind of inspired way of dealing with that yeah that's not bad at all <laughs> i also think too as long as everyone's having fun um then keep letting them figure it out but if they're not having fun i think it's the gm's responsibility to change tactics too and figure out how to make it work yeah, yeah, yeah i mean I think that- yeah, it's, it's the ability that, to. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the ability to just kind of go. This isn't working. Yeah, have to have to knock it on the head. And but I do like your idea, Juicy. Where it's yeah, I don't necessarily have an answer to this. I want to see what you guys come up with and whatever I think's going to be. Yeah, that works. And I and I do think that I mean a because that solves the problem of people. Have having seen a similar puzzle before, mm-hmm. and it also solves the problem of the the difficulty of the puzzle because you can kind of keep it going as long as need be, and then go, oh yeah, you've just that that was the answer. That's what I had written all along. Yeah, and ultimately, based on how absurd you think their solution is, you set a difficulty rating and let them roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, so, I mean, that, that answers half the question of, you know, when they get stuck. But what about inspiration for puzzles? Where do you guys get your inspiration from? Because I've briefly spoken about this in the past, uh, where I get some of my inspiration for puzzles from, um, which is video games and lots of them. But <laughs> what about, like, yourselves? Where do you guys draw your inspiration from? It depends on the game and what i'm going for right because i kind of think of all challenges i'm putting in a scenario or even a room as a puzzle even if it's like combat uh so i try to think of what i'm trying to convey and i like a lot of horror games so i'm trying to think of the kind of horror and tone i want them to have to experience and then i build the the mood the tone and the nature of that challenge around it uh So, for example, when I did that Delta Green scenario in October, I really wanted to have the agents have to go and get information out of an uncomfortable but willing partner. So I had them go get information out of a ghoul informant. And the challenge and the puzzle there was for them to maintain their cool and just deal with the problem 
well, a perfectly polite but deeply horrific uh, ghoul in a human suit that was a decent enough illusion, but not quite good enough, um, just sort of spoke with them in the darkness, well underground, further than and made any natural sense. And <laughs> they were just in a pressure cooker having to withstand sand rolls continuously. Mm. Um, and I performed it well enough for them to be uncomfortable with my like twitching and and <laughs> mode of conversation uh and they were so uncomfortable just their reactions were hard to control and it was great but the point is is i think about what i need to do to sort of challenge their skills and then build the sort of skill challenges around that and it can aesthetically be whatever i want it to be i can describe it any way i want to but what I need to make sure is that I'm challenging their specific skills and their specific tools and also convey the kind of tone I want to and, and build it around those things, because that's what I'm trying to achieve with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not the sort of person that, that does puzzles very often. Um, and when I say puzzles, I'm referring to you have to orient these statues in a right sort of, you know, I don't normally do that. I don't really, I don't think it's a conscious decision. It's just when I do, a, when I write something, I just don't think to put it in. Um, my, the puzzles I do are a lot like they're, they're a lot, they span a lot longer. You know, like there is an adventure arc, which is essentially in its way a puzzle, yeah, whether same. it's a murder mystery or or something like that. And what I do is I very similar to Delta Green style of writing is I write everything that's happening without the player's intervention. And then find the points at which the players can then connect into that story. So there is something that's going on from point A to point Z, and that's going to carry on whether the players deal with it or not. And then there are specific points which the players can pick up on, which will put them in line with what's happening. Yeah, that was a good question. I, I do like I do like a good. Yeah, I like it's been a, a while since it's been a while since we rolled sci-fi. Big shout out to sci-fi. Yes. Thank you very much. So before we wrap today, I do have one last small piece of business. Um, on Thursday's Fabula game, I yes. revealed to Justin that I had a surprise for him. Mm. That I was working on something that I was hoping would be ready for today. Lo and behold, it is. Um, so I am now going to see if I can... Not fuck this up. You're pregnant. No, no, unfortunately not. You know, it I do like it didn't pee. work. It didn't take. It was a load of feet peeing on that stick, though. <gasps> Are you have you seen it? Ah, <laughs> oh, you didn't even let me post the link, you fuck. Let me let me post the link in the chat so then Juicy can see what I've done. Hmm. And I'm second. so happy right now. <laughs> See, I told you it wasn't a wind-up. It was going to be something that you would genuinely like. I am uh, so happy right now. Can I can I copy? Let's go in there. I, uh, I, I, I need these. I need them. All right. I, so I'm gonna first post it in the Discord chat so Juicy can 
see what I'm talking about, and then I'm gonna also post it. Oh, that's precious. Into yeah. YouTube. Oh, that's great. The audience is gonna love this. So uh, we are two huge supernatural nerds. And you know, it just kind of felt fitting. So yeah, oh, I, just I, put, I, put, I put it up on the uh, on the old screen as well. It's so cool. <laughs> that is really neat. I like the art. Yeah, I'm, that that was uh, this is the first time I've actually done any vector graphics. And for this the is... audio audience, it is a T-shirt, a Wayward Waffle graphic tee on, I do believe, their shop webpage. Yes, which you See, should go find and purchase. That's what that's that, what I meant about somebody being far more professional than we are. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent, and that is why that is why Juicy is is uh, is the head of PR for TTN. Yes, you know, it's, I mean, you don't need a resume when things like this happen. Oh, it's so cool! I'm I'm buying all of those as soon as I get paid. <laughs> so yeah, I thought I I thought you'd like that. Um, obviously, I think Couch is gonna like that as well. Yeah. But yeah, that is what I've been working on for the past week. Excellent. That's awesome. All right. So I just want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Sci-Fi for sending in, um, for, for being a contributor, for sending mm -hmm. in the topic. Um, I also want to thank Juicy so much for for just, you know, lowering lowering your standards a tiny bit and, and coming on. That's ridiculous. I love coming on. <laughs> And coming and joining us because it has been absolutely fantastic. Mm. You are doing amazing work, and I am for one excited to kind of be along for the ride and just see just how high you and TTN can go because the sky's the sky's the fucking limit. I am so excited honest. to see what we do next, and you too. Like this has been so much fun. Thank you. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. You know, it's it's you know, it's just been an honor for us to mm. to to have you on with us. Um also Justin, I want to thank you for for spending some time with us this Aww. evening. You know. Fine. So, uh <laughs> Juicy, do you want to plug 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 go? Yes. Just yes. tell people yeah. everything they need to know. Absolutely. You can find me on the internet on uh twitter.com. And also Blue Sky at Juicy Garland. You can find me on Insta's Gram and Threads at Juicy.Garland. You can hear me more uh, all over the internet, but particularly now in All Our Faults, which is a Monster Hearts 2 actual play podcast produced by Tabletop Tailspinners. Uh, you can also pay attention to the at Tabletop Tailspinners or at T-Top Tailspinners on uh threads and instagram and blue sky as well uh if you want to see what other stuff we are producing like chronicles of kriath and improv madness which we've talked about ad nauseum here thank you so much for letting me be here and listening to me just ramble on about my gay chaos i love it it's it's been fascinating just to, to, mm. to hear the way your your mind has, has worked on that table for me is just yeah it's just awesome. inspired it is absolutely yeah. fantastic uh justin do you want to tell people whereabouts on the internet they can find you too sure uh so i'm pretty much everywhere at justin accurate tv um and also of course on our facebook page on the discord 
and you're pretty much behind all the other socials. So I'll let you take it away from there. Okay. As for me, you can find me at Natural Juan at Dice.camp on Mastodon. You can also find me behind the two legit to create accounts on Instagram, Blue Sky, and Threads. So if I say anything, you know, if we ever say anything wrong, it's it's me. It's my fault. Um, which I think happens on a daily at this point. Um, but also we do have a Facebook group. We've got a Facebook page. Just come and join us. Most importantly, if you like what you you see, if you like what you hear, don't hesitate to comment, to subscribe, to tell your friends, tell us what you like, tell us what you dislike. That's the way we're going to grow. That's the way we're going to gonna just become more and become more of a presence in this community that has been so kind to embrace us and that we love dearly but most importantly of all i want to thank everyone for taking time out of their busy day to listen to well two idiots and one professional in this case waffle on about tabletop role-playing games thank you very much good night